Hello, everybody. Before we get to the next episode, I just want to announce that I have partnered with Glow FM, and this will allow me to monetize the show, uh, allow me to have extra support from the audience and uh, anyone who listens, anyone who finds value in the program, anyone who finds value in this podcast, whether you listen on the daily, weekly, monthly, if you believe that this value is worth something monetary to you, I ask you to please join us in supporting the show. I love creating for you. Uh, It means the world to me to have all these listeners tuning in week after week. But as you know, it takes an immense amount of time and energy to produce. I want the show to keep going and I want to invest in its growth. In order to do this, um, I'm asking you to be a partner with me in this journey. And uh, if you believe that this is valuable and you believe that you want to donate, uh, click the link in the show notes. The link in the show notes, glow.fm slash the optimal life with Nate Haber. Again, glow.fm slash the optimal life with Nate Haber. You can click the link in the show notes. It's super easy to do. It takes less than 30 seconds. Uh, You could use your Apple or Google Pay. You don't have to sign up. There's no account name needed. There's no long registration process. And if, again, you believe that this show provides value to you, you can contribute as much or as little as you like. Again, glow.fm slash The Optimal Life with Nate Haber. Thanks so much. The Optimal Life. Dr. Bolad, how are you today? I am good. How are you doing? I am doing well. Thank you for being here. Um, this is an important topic, your area of specialty expertise, of course, focusing on heart disease as a cardiologist. Um, I'm looking at cdc.gov. Heart disease is the leading cause of death for men and women and people of most racial and ethnic groups in the United States. One person dies every 36 seconds from cardiovascular disease, every 36 seconds. So by the time we're done with this conversation today, Dr. Bolad, that statistic would prove that we'll be pushing almost 100 deaths just while you and I are talking. Um, is, and and then you've got the, the, that it affects 659,000 people in the United States um, die from heart disease each year. That's that's one in every four deaths. So, of uh, again, the, the statistics are shocking. T- let's talk about it. Why is... Why is heart disease still the number one cause of death for most people? Well, um, this has uh, been um, traditionally the main cause of death worldwide because uh, of the risk factors that impact us on everyday life and on everything we do, uh, starting from our diet uh, to uh, maintaining our health, uh, to uh, be leading an active or a sedentary lifestyle. And I just would like to point out that um, the main cause is always from coronary disease and heart failure. But the disease affects all the arteries in the body. Uh, But because when it affects the heart, the heart is what's keeping us alive. Uh, That's why it manifests with um, uh, bad outcomes. Uh, So uh, although the incidence changes from country to country, it's still worldwide. It is the leading cause of death. And it has to do with education, leading healthy lifestyle, and understanding really what we ought to do uh, in order to keep ourselves in good shape. So that's why um, it's still a leading cause of death. Do you, what do you attribute to the number? What is one of the number one or several reasons that are ultimately leading though? Is it is it unhealthy lifestyle? Is it smoking? Is it drinking? What are some of the things? Unhealthy lifestyle by that is the main uh, predisposing factor. 
Other factors like smoking, obviously, and high blood pressure are important factors. High blood pressure has been named or is being named, or it is, has always been known as the silent killer. If you don't have yourself checked regularly to know that you have got a high blood pressure, it damages your arteries in the body and in the heart gradually without you noticing. And then with time, it starts to manifest. But by the time it starts to manifest, it's too late. So much damage would have already happened. And that is basically trying to fix the damage, which are to reduce the damage rather than to prevent it. Also, one thing uh, here, Nate, I would like to point out, which is very important, uh, is also our uh, family history. We don't have control over that. We are born with that. It's just like a lottery. Mm -hmm. If you have got a bad family history and it runs on the family, yes, you can modify it by, obviously, and you need to modify it by uh, controlling the risk factors and leading a healthy lifestyle. But irrespective of that, still you are going to have progression uh, to coronary artery disease and vascular disease all over your body, irrespective. So um, I get these questions sometimes that people ask me that I have been doing um, exercising, I have been eating health healthy, but still I am having coronary disease. So family history, I want to put it up there. It's really very, very important. How often do we need to be checking ourselves or going to the doctor to get checked? Because you, you mentioned the silent but deadly killer and high blood pressure. How often should we be making sure that we're okay? A minimum of once a year. A minimum of once a year. So try to make it part of your annual checkup uh, that you have to go to your doctor to get checked, um, have blood tests done regarding your cholesterol, um, your blood pressure and also have blood pressure checked and the doctor examines your heart and see if there is anything um, abnormal regarding that. Also, Nate, I would just like to um, mention this and this is something I mentioned to all my patients. I tell them, look after your health and your body as if it is your car. You have got one car, you need to keep it in good shape. If you don't change the oil, if you don't change the tires, and if you don't make sure that the, the, the body is well maintained all over, you're going to find that the car is not going to last you long. It's going to be run down and it's not going to be um, in good shape to last you for a long period of time. That's just like a way that I explain simply to my patients how it is. The same thing for your body. I've got one body to last you a lifetime. So if you don't take good care of it, you're it will be damaged, and then obviously it won't last you as long, and you will have to be fixing it repeatedly. What, what do you think it is, doctor? You've been doing this for a long time. You've dealt with patients from all walks of life, all types of backgrounds, people with family history, bad family history, heart attack, heart attack, heart attack. They're overweight. They're unhealthy. Dr. Bolad keeps telling them time and time again, they better be careful. They better and they still don't have what it takes to change. Why do you feel so many people still struggle with obesity, being overweight, the unhealthy aspect, all that kind of stuff, when they know that they're at risk? You know, uh, it's a combination of um, self-denial and lack of awareness of what can happen to them. Mm. Um, if you are now living fine and you don't have a symptom, you just think that's not going to affect you. You think you are talking about other people, and I just want to point out in it that it's not only people who are 
um, not in the medical field. I can I can see it in our uh, medical community, in our doctors, even in my young residents and fellows that I'm training. For example, when I'm going to see patients in different floors in the hospital, the first thing that they want to do is to get the elevator. And I keep on asking, why are you using the elevator? Why don't you use the stairs? And I get sometimes frowned upon, but they guess they they now get used to that when they're working with me, they use the stairs. Simple things. This is just, you don't need, and I keep telling them that you don't need to make a specific uh, time or carve part of your day to go to the gym or to walk. You can make it part of your life, modify your lifestyle. When you are going up and down, don't use the elevator, use the stairs. That's good cardiovascular exercise. You are doing your work and you are exercising. So things like that. So it is not only the general public or people who are in not in the medical field, but even people in the medical field, it's just a matter of thinking that it's denial. It's 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 not going to affect me. You know, I'm fine. I am young. They don't understand this is a process that builds on over time and will catch up with you sooner or later if you are not taking care of your body and of your health. Dr. Bola doesn't know what he's talking about. Here he goes again, telling me I need to be healthy, cut, cut out the cholesterol, cut out this, cut out that. Yeah, I've heard that a time or two, and they just go back to doing what they do. That makes exactly. a lot of sense. And that's why it's a leading cause of this. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, so you did mention silent killers, and, and sometimes you don't know, but what there are definitely signs and symptoms of somebody that may be experiencing some early stages of heart disease. Let's talk about some of those. What would that be? Okay, so um, the obvious one is obviously someone starting to get chest pain. This is a very common symptom. When I exert myself, I'm getting chest pain. When I relax and, and I stop exerting myself, the pain goes away. This is a very important uh, symptom that you are getting blocked arteries in the heart. So this is a very important symptom. Number two, undue shortness of breath. So if you were able before to do activities, like for example, you used to take a dog, walk for a, a mile or so, and now you are struggling all of a sudden to do like half a mile or even less than the distance that you used to do, this is another sign that there is something wrong with your heart and therefore you need to uh, get it um, checked. Other symptoms like um, when you start noticing that there is some swelling in your legs or over the period of over the period of the time towards the end of the day means that the circulation might not be as great. So that's something that you need to check. Some people feel palpitations, some extra beats, I'm feeling a skip beat. This is um, a symptom that there is something also wrong in the conduction system uh, of the heart. When you check your blood pressure, you find your pulse is low. This is obviously uh, an important uh, finding that the conduction system is not good. Now, with the use of uh, wearable devices, especially the Apple Watch, I get so many patients also coming to me, I'm getting too fast a heart rate or too slow a heart rate. This is also important, you need to report that to your doctor. So in summary, the main ones, I would say that uh, chest pain, um, shortness of breath, swelling in the legs, palpitations, uh, these are the main um, symptoms. Of now, now, those are symptoms for heart disease. Is it the same type of thing? If somebody has a heart attack, 
do they need to have some form of heart disease that's happening prior or can people have heart attacks without heart disease? Um, in the great majority of cases, um, in the great majority of cases, this disease has been building up. Been building, it's been brewing. And it just absolutely, and due to a factor, a stressful factor uh, or another, it just pops up the lining of the artery and they get a heart attack. So in the great majority of cases, it's already brewing up over time. And just all of, and just all of a sudden, you get the heart attack. Okay. So the scientific, what exactly, you just mentioned a little bit about the artery. Talk a little bit, let's geek on the, the scientific aspect of this just for a minute. What exactly is happening to the heart when it's being under attack? What's going on inside? So what happened is um, in a heart attack, all of a sudden the lining cracks inside. And just like any injury you get on your hand or skin, there is a clot that forms, right? You bleed and then there is a clot in order to seal it. The same mechanism is happening in the heart. When the lining cracks, a clot forms. And when that clot forms, it builds up to seal the damage, just like it happened in your skin. And by doing so, it obstructs flow of blood to the section of the muscle of the heart. So stopping flow, depriving the muscle of the heart of blood flow containing oxygen and nutrients is what causes the symptom of a heart attack. And that's usually severe chest pain. Your heart isn't able to cope, you collapse, etc. So this is the main mechanism of developing of an acute heart attack. Yes. And so, in that situation, in that example, how fast is that occurring from the time that the lining cracks to the point where you're actually feeling like you have a heart attack? Minutes. Minutes. It's a, ma it's a wow. matter of minutes. And it is equally important that when you get an abnormal symptom like that, and believe me, you will know it because it is different. It's painful. You have to report to the emergency room by ambulance as soon as possible. Why am I saying that? Is because you the first three hours from the symptoms to relieve of the blockage are critical. If the muscle is deprived of oxygen and nutrients for more than 180 minutes or about, then it dies. And once the muscle is dead, there is little you can do to help the muscle of the heart. So the very first hour or two or three max are critical. We have got a metric that from the onset of symptom until we open the artery, it has to be less than 90 minutes. And it's a metric for efficiency of our resuscitation um, uh, procedures and how efficient we are in helping our patients. 90 minutes from the start of your symptom until we open the artery for you by taking you to the cardiac catheterization laboratory seeing where the blockage is, passing wires, ballooning, and putting in a stent to keep that artery open. Mm. Fascinating. I would imagine it's, it's sometimes confusing though for people because we do get chest pain and sometimes it's just sporadic. Something's happening, we eat something, indigestion, our levels are off, uh, a gas pocket, whatever it might be. So how, how can somebody differentiate between those types of chest pains and an actual heart that's under attack? 
So um, the chest pain of a heart attack, you cannot mistake it. I mean, generally, in the great majority of cases, and I'm going to come to the other uh, minority of cases. In the majority of cases, it's severe, dull heaviness in the chest. Some people describe it like an elephant sitting on my chest. Sometimes it goes to your neck and it goes to your arm. All of a sudden it happens. You're not doing anything different. Uh, so this is a classical symptom that happens in the great majority of cases, and it's pain that you have never experienced before. So the severity of it is so that it's so intense that you Absolutely. know this is something different. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, blood flow to the muscle of the heart, a segment of muscle of the heart, has been blocked. So the muscle is dying and gives you severe intense pain. So this is the majority of the presentation is like that. One question, uh, I, uh, Dr. Bolat, if you don't mind, one question mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you was uh, during this pandemic, there was mm -hmm. some studies that were being shown, um, at least from some people, that uh, the vaccine may have been accelerating or leading to myocarditis. Not sure if that's true or not, but if it is, uh, let's talk about what exactly is myocarditis. And after you explain that, please let me know, did you experience uh, an uptick in myocarditis cases during this pandemic? Okay. Myocarditis is inflammation of the muscle of the heart. That's just in simple terms. That's what myocarditis is. The COVID virus, it enters through the lungs. The thing is different from the COVID virus compared to other viruses that affect the lung is that although it enters through the lungs, it affects almost every single part of the body. So it comes through your lungs, but it affects every organ. The heart, the kidney, the gut, the brain, every single organ is affected. It's a virus load, so your muscle of the heart might get inflamed. And that's what myocarditis is. It can give you some pain because with the, there is a lining in the muscle of the heart, the pericardium. It might also get affected by the inflammation, and we call this my, uh, myopericarditis. And it can give you like sharp pain. It's not the dull ache I described to you. It's a sharp pain, changes with position, changes with breathing, etc. So this is um, um, inflammation of the muscle of the heart. Yes, there has been an increase in um, the incidence of myocarditis. The great majority of them, they are not um, clinically manifest. Uh, most of the studies have been done have been done by doing testing, specifically either an echocardiogram or more specifically, which is more and more sensitive, is an MRI, magnetic resonance imaging. There has been lots of studies. If you look at the literature, they have looked at the heart of affected uh, people with COVID doing magnetic resonance imaging. And in one study or two, I mean, the incidents are, are quite high. So the, there are lots of times that this is not um, manifest. You do it just by fine, by doing a, finding a positive test uh, at that time. And that's what um, uh, clinches the diagnosis of myocarditis. Mm. So um, we have seen people in the very sick 
in the ICU, their heart being affected, as we have seen that, and that can just be found by just doing an ultrasound scan of the heart, and that can tell us that the heart function is reduced and it's not pumping as much as it should do. So, the virus itself can cause it. The great majority of cases doesn't manifest a minority. It shows clinical, okay? Now, regarding the vaccine, it does cause also myocarditis, but to a much lesser extent. And it's unlikely, if I put it, that it is going to cause um, clinical manifestation due to uh, weakness of the heart. So you disagree and, with Dr. Peter McCullough. I don't know if you're familiar, but you disagree with him when he that, says that the vaccine accelerates myocarditis. Well, the vaccine is a cause of myocarditis. We haven't seen it a lot. I mean, millions of people have been vaccinated. But it is there, okay? I don't think it's something that we have to worry about not to take the vaccine because of the myocarditis. So listen, it. everything in life we do is risk and benefit, right? If you're, if you're crossing the street, there is a risk of you being hit by a car, right? But the risk of you not being hit by a car and crossing and achieving your goal is much higher. Same in everything. The risk of myocarditis is there. It's small. The great majority of cases are not manifest. Are we going not to protect ourselves by taking the vaccine by saying, oh yeah, because there is a minuscule chance that I'm going to get myocarditis, or am I going to get vaccinated? I got vaccinated. I have had four shots so far of the vaccine, the two initial ones and the two booster ones. My family are all vaccinated. No worries. I know that they are at risk when I ask them to go and get vaccinated. Have but you gotten the, COVID uh, since getting vaccinated? Uh, no, I haven't. You and, haven't. I tell, I, and I tell you, I see COVID patients every single day, almost every single day in the hospital. Okay. So uh, I didn't. So, Interesting. Yeah, so vaccines really um, have um, saved lots of lives. Uh, so when somebody comes into your hospital or comes in, what what and they're under duress, they're they're having a heart attack, they're having heart failure. Um, what are some of these invasive heart procedures, if they are indeed invasive? I assume they are that you have to do to potentially save lives. The most important thing is taking the patient as quickly as possible to the cardiac catheterization laboratory. And what do we do over there? We get access to the arterial circulation, either through the artery in the wrist, the radial artery, or through the groin, the femoral artery. Through that small tube that we put in these arteries, we put longer tubes. We call them catheters. They go all the way to the origin of the coronary artery, and we inject dye dyes that we can see under x-ray. So we put this patient on the cast table. This procedure is done under x-ray control and we image the heart. And when we inject the dye, we can see where the blockage is. Then we pass fine wires across the blockage. And through these wires, we, plant, we pass small balloons. We balloon the blockage and to restore flow, okay, to crush the clots. Sometimes we pass like what we call aspiration catheters through the wire we passed. Basically it's a tube and we suck the clot out and we go on to keep the artery open and prevent it from reclotting again. We put in a stent 
and stent is nothing more than a metal mesh. We just put it in, we balloon it, it comes pre-packaged in a balloon, we balloon it, inflate it, it aligns on the wall, keeps the, uh, the artery open, and it secures it open. So that's what we do to restore flow as soon as possible to the artery which just had a block. And then that ties into, the, sometimes you guys are putting in, I don't know what they're called, pacemakers or some of these other technologies from like the Boston Scientifics and the Medtronics and there's several others on the cardiac rhythm management side. How important are those and what are some of those products? Right, so these are these are not um, for heart attacks generally. This is, this is not for heart attack. This is for, as you said, heart rhythm control. So if we look at um, heart disease in general, the great majority is from coronary disease and um, and um, heart failure. This is the bulk of the cardiac disease. A small minority of patients come with heart rhythm problems, like reduced heart rate. That's when you're talking about putting in a pacemaker. Okay. There are so many different causes for it. The commonest devices we put implants these days are what we call the implantable defibrillators. This is for patients who have got reduced heart function due to either a clot uh, or a heart attack, um, and uh, their heart can go into a serious um, rhythm which can lead to cardiac arrest. Mm. So we put these devices, we connect them well, we connect them by leads to the heart so that they're being monitored all the time, such as if their heart goes into this serious dangerous rhythm, then the device detects them and shocks them out of this um, cardiac arrest rhythm and restores the circulation. How much has technology changed, doctor? You've been doing this for a long time. <laughs> wow. You didn't have yeah. this fancy technology 20, 30 years ago, huh? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So, I, I mean, I tell you, uh, when I was a new graduate, we're talking about heart attacks now, rushing the patient to the emergency, to the cardiac catheterization laboratory and relieving obstruction in 90 minutes from the onset. Initially, I mean, when I was a young doctor, someone comes with a heart attack, we give them morphine to clear the pain, and then we give them a medication of blood thinning in order to try to uh, break the clot. Some of them, sometimes it works, sometimes not. The patient is just left there and in the hope that the drug works. Now, this is nothing more than historical now at this time. We are much more aggressive. Um, this, in the span of 20 or 30 years, the technology has advanced so much, and our uh, ability to help and treat patients have tremendously, tremendously increased. So now it's a matter of every minute counts. Mm. Every uh, time is muscle. That's what we call with the loved one. It's, it's amazing that we have increased in the technology so drastically, yet this is still such a killer as we started with in the conversation. This is the number one cause of death. So um, you need to, there are two things here, Nate, I would like to read outline. There is heart health and there is heart disease. We need to catch and treat this thing even before they manifest, before they develop into a heart attack. And that's by looking at your heart, our health. 
okay, most of the time uh, we call it like um, uh, health service, etc. It's actually a disease service. We are treating the disease after it happens. We need to catch it very early before it develops a treat. And that's why we are seeing patients coming in because we are not, it's prevention rather than cure at the end. So we need to go to the prevention side mm. to prevent them from going from the spectrum of building up gradules of plaque to getting into a heart attack. We need to catch the disease early. Once, if you don't take care of your health, you don't have the checkups, etc., then you present in the disease phase. And we and that's obviously universal. You are you are not going to know until it happens to you, right? That's yeah, right. You're, yeah, it's, a so, reactive, it's a reactive instead of proactive at that point. Yeah. It's not health care. It's disease care, right. if you see what I mean. So we have to put the heart health point rather than the heart disease phase. So these two phases, we have to intervene early in the heart health rather than the heart disease phase. The, the heart attack thing, you always hear heart attack has always been associated with stress. And so let me ask you, does, is stress a cause of a heart attack? Can it be a cause? And what is stress? If, if yes, you're shaking your head yes. What exactly is happening inside of our body that the stress is causing the heart to fail? So what happens is that you already have got coronary disease. So what stress does, it really um, it tips the balance that has been going on, keeping the arteries flowing. Well, so, let me let me just interrupt you real quick, doctor. Please. Mm -hmm. Sure. You said that if you already have the coronary disease, so are you? You're saying that stress alone doesn't necessarily lead to a heart attack, but if your heart's already under duress, already failing, then stress can be a, a, an accelerant. So what happened in the in the great majority of cases, the plaque that has been building on the lining of the heart, of the lining of the coronary arteries of the heart has been happening. And what stress does is that it puts your body in such a situation that this lining that has been covering the blood, protecting it from the blood and the circulation, with the stress, with the adrenaline in the, in the system, it cracks this lining and covering. And uh, when it cracks the lining, just as I described before, a cloth forms to seal it, and that's when the heart attack happens. So it gets stress on its own, if you are healthy, will not cause a heart attack. But most of heart attacks happen, yes, during stress, because it brings what is already there beneath the surface. Oh. So the okay. cortisol levels, the increase in cortisol and all that stuff that comes with stress. Absolutely, cortisol, adrenaline, Mm -hmm. You know, you find some people running a marathon, okay? And at the end, they tell you they just dropped at the end and they had a heart attack. Now, these people are very fit, but they have got underlying disease, but the stress of the marathon, the adrenaline rush, stress in the body made this lining crack, stress in the body, and that's what brought the heart attack. But they already had the substrate there hidden. And they most likely did not know they had it. 100 percent or else very, they wouldn't have run the marathon right. absolutely these are right. very if you run a marathon then you are very fit right yeah yeah interesting so somebody that does have a heart attack what are some of the uh, forms of treatment then post uh, attack 
So uh, obviously we spoke about being rushed to open this artery. And then after this phase uh, has successfully been achieved, then the patient needs to be on blood thinners like aspirin. And if you had a stent on, we have to put a second blood thinner. These days either a medication um, called Lavix or Ticagrelor or Prasugrel, which is Ifian. Uh, so you need to be on two antiplatelets or two blood thinners for a year. But then after that, you need to be on aspirin for life. We need also to protect your heart by making sure it doesn't overexert itself. And we put you on a medication called a beta blocker of an example of that probably a medication called metoprolol to slow the heart. And by slowing the heart, they're just protecting the heart from being overactive and causing um, stress on the heart. Almost all patients have a heart attack. We put them on cholesterol lowering medications irrespective of the cholesterol level. So, and so as to prevent or reduce the progression of the disease, uh, a medication from the group uh, of drugs known as statins. So you might have seen ads on the TV, atorvastatin, rosuvastatin, these medications go on. If the muscle of the heart has been affected and weakened, then we need to put you on a medication from the ACE inhibitor or the angiotensin receptor blocker and medications, something like lisinopril or lazartan, etc., to try to improve your heart function. So these are the medications, but it's not only medications. Lifestyle modification is very important. If you have a heart attack, obviously it's a traumatic event and you might have the residual issues. So cardiac rehabilitation, preparing you for cardiac rehabilitation is very useful and is very helpful to get you back to a normal uh, life uh, style and get you back to work as soon as possible. So this is the start of a long-term commitment. Right. Once you get a heart attack, just but taking- you can get back to normalcy. You can get back to exercising and doing all the things you did prior to the heart attack. Absolutely. If you get treated early, no damage, you can put almost everything back Beautiful. to what you used to do. So you have decided on a career path that with it comes probably a lot of fulfillment and also a lot of potential sadness and risk at times because you're dealing with people's lives. So when you go back, doctor, I don't know how many years ago, but I assume it happened to that first time you lost a patient. You couldn't save them. How, how did you react to that? Very painful. This is actually yes, one of the things that we dread, especially patients that you lose on the table. And I can tell you, I, I lost over the 30 years, 25 years being in the cast lab. I lost one patient on the table. Well, on the table. That's the most painful. That's basically someone you are struggling to do, to help, and in spite of all what we do, just can't get it back because the damage is so bad. And actually, you know, I told you one because I remember that patient very well. That's uh, something you will never forget. Yeah. You know, you, you just sticks it sticks in your head. I can't. Uh, I remember it always like I'm not shares information, but I can tell you, I remember every single detail about that patient. You know, it's very painful. But 
how did you how did you handle that because again that's shocking when it happens like that to you how did you handle yeah. that in the days weeks months that followed maybe maybe it's changed your life too yeah it, it it's like a post-mortem really you go into this phase of post-mortem trying to analyze everything the thing you have done could you have done anything different that could have saved that patient mm. okay and i went and i looked and I asked so many people to review just for to understand. Nobody could come with an answer. Exactly, everything was perfect out of out of your hand. You know, that's that's you have done everything. But still, in spite of that, you still you remember. I you know, always question. Things. You you probably always still question a little bit, right? Even though you could have been perfect. A you question and B it never leaves you. Mm-hmm. It just never leaves you because I. I mean, we went into this business to save lives, okay? And that's what we strive on, to provide excellent care and to save lives. So when you are unable, in a particular case, to do that, it just never leaves you. You always remember that case. Yeah. But, you know, also I've had, on the other side, I've had people who were very sick. People thought they're not going to make it, and they were helped them. So this is the other bright side. You help so many other patients. You see them coming to clinic with their families and their sons and their daughters. And that really makes a huge difference. Yeah. So, oh, absolutely. And that, like I said, that's why you chose a very fulfilling career and profession, but one that comes with some some risks because, again, you're dealing with lives. But but when you are doing the right, when it's going well, that's the most fulfilling thing in the world. You've just saved a life and you've saved people, a family. You've saved family and friends from heartache. Absolutely. That's incredible. Yeah, and that's really the bright side we always look for. Yeah. We help patients and see them back on their feet, living a normal lifestyle back with their families. Hey, uh, really insightful conversation. I know you have a YouTube channel. Tell us a little bit about YouTube and some of the things where people can find you online. So my YouTube channel is Dr. Bolat Cardiology. Dr. the full word, Bolat, B-O-L-A-D, Cardiology. Uh, in that channel, I always publish regularly um, regarding topical things in cardiology, regarding heart health, and regarding heart disease. I talk regularly about the common things um, that would help patient in preventing progression of heart disease, and if, they, if the disease occurs, how to get treatment. I get lots of questions uh, in my regarding the comment section, and I answer them. Uh, so I encourage anyone who is interested in learning more about heart health and heart disease uh, to go there to my YouTube channel, Dr. Bolat Cardiology. There are lots of references there. Anything that comes new on topical in cardiology, I make sure I talk about it and I publish it for my own patients. Uh, they go and they look to see what is new. Also, I have got my website, which is drbolad.com. Doctor is a full word, D-O-C-T-O-R, Bolad, B-O-L-A-D.com. In that website, I have got uh, a button in which it says, ask a free question. I get net about 200 to 250 questions every single week from people all around the world, and I answer every single one of them. Every single one of them gets an answer. Sometimes I'm up late at night answering questions to people in different parts of the world. I just give them information because obviously I'm not their cardiologist. 
So there is a disclaimer there on that website that this does not substitute the um, medical care you get from your provider, but I'm here to provide you with um, knowledge so that's such that when you go and meet your provider, you, you, are, um, uh, you are armed with information. You can ask about your heart health, you can ask about your heart disease. So by going to drbola.com, you can ask a free question anytime. I always reply within 24 hours. You will get your answer directly to your email. So um, I encourage anyone who has got a question about their heart health or about heart disease, visit the website and they can send me a message and I will reply. Um, Beautiful. Beautiful. And we'll link, make sure we link your YouTube and your website in the show notes, drbolod.com. Check them out, everybody. Links in the show notes if you want to learn more about him and his practice. Uh, one of the uh, foremost ex- experts in cardiovascular health. Hey, thank you for uh, shedding light into this really important topic. Continued success to you, and thank you for all the work you're doing. Thank you very much, Nate, uh, for having me. And really, um, I just encourage your audience, anyone who has got a question, please reach out. I'm always available to help. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of the Optimal Life Podcast. If you haven't yet, please subscribe and follow the podcast wherever you're listening. And you could also leave a review. Apple Podcasts, of course, you could leave reviews and ratings. Spotify, you could leave reviews and ratings. And several and many other podcast apps, wherever you may be listening, please tell a friend, tell a family member, let them know about the podcast, and we will see you next time.